0: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of East Got Game, an unofficial podcast about the NBL 1 East competition for 2023. My name is Jacinta Govind, commentator for the Central Coast Crusaders, and with me as always is Lockie France, commentator from the Sutherland Sharks. And I say commentator as just one of your many roles at that club, Lockie.
1: Oh, uh, yes, the commentator helped to set up, helped to tear down help to do whatever they need me to do on game day, really. But comment, commentator is a good enough job title.
0: Yes, I would say so too. It <laughs> is uh, certainly a privilege to still be commentating this league uh, and at any level. So uh, I think on the plus side, it definitely creates a pathway and uh, more opportunities for us to try and improve our commentary skills as
1: well. It certainly does. I mean, yeah, I was even I was even up at comments this week. Uh, anyone who... Uh, Caught the Manly comments game on Friday night. It was lovely to have your company.
0: So you're, you're already going to be able to take over a couple of the clubs down there, in Sydney clubs down there, Lockie. Soon enough, we'll be hearing your voice everywhere.
1: No, 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 no. We've got plenty of good commentators around the league.
0: Oh, well, excellent. So we have just finished round six of NBL One East for 2023. <laughs> Another exciting round. A lot of different and varied and unexpected results from this week. Um, what did you take? What was your main takeaways, Lockie? before we get into the results?
1: Uh, well, I think the, uh, big results, especially on the men's side came with North beating COE, but then losing to Hills. It's a really real turn up for the books. You know, you get, you get that win over someone like COE and you think it sets you on your way, but you're immediately pegged back. Bit of a missed opportunity there with the, uh, header. You just thought it could have gone two and Um and I think uh inner West women, big win there. that was a uh, big win over uh, Sutherland. I'll say that mutedly, but uh, it did happen. Yeah, I believe that was their first ever home win in the league.
0: Yeah, I think you're right actually, because oh, the inner West Bulls last year notching up their first win of their you know NBL1 East career or club history, against the Central Coast Crusaders away. So that would be their first home win. I think you're correct.
1: Wow. So, yeah, actually a lot going on. Um, yeah, real bit of a shake-up of the uh, a ladder this week. So, uh, yeah, plenty to run through.
0: Yes. Yeah, so speaking of, I'm going to quickly recap uh, the women's results from round six. So we started on Friday night again where Bankstown Bruins hosted the Inner West Bulls. And got another home win uh, 72 to 60. And we went across town to Alexandria where the Sydney Comets played. The Sydney Comets coming into this round in the Women's League as well were placed first on the ladder. And they played the then positioned third place Manly Warringah Sea Eagles. And Manly really turned up this game, um, thumping the Comets 95 to 73. Now, fair enough, the Comets were out Vanessa Panousis. But they did have some great performances from Jada Croshaw and Shiloh Hill. And Manly, talk about stuff in the stat sheet and giving it around, they had three players on 20 points apiece and two players on 17. And it was Kim Hodge with a double-double on 20 and 10 for Manly. So that cemented their position now as first place in the women's competition. Uh, then the next day we head head down to Canberra with the Centre of Excellence beat the Albury-Wodonga Bandits 81-56. to Back at home, Manly, uh, with only a two-point win over the Penrith Panthers, 59-57, to which I'll touch on a little bit more later in the episode. Then into Crow's Nest, we saw the North Bears uh, with 96-39 win over the Hills Hornets. Here on the semi-coast, we had Central Coast Crusaders hosting the Maitland Mustangs. And the Mustangs, whoof, they were in fine form in this game, uh, which was 49-63 to 63 in favour of the Mustangs. And I have to give a special shout-out to Shaq Riley for her excellent defence on Cezzy Matthews that game. I think that made a massive difference for the Mustangs to claim that win. Then Hornsby were back home. Uh, they had Canberra Nationals on the Saturday as well, and they lost 38-84. to Much-needed win for the Canberra Nationals after a three-game losing streak. The Inner West Bulls were then back at home the next day, so uh, I'm sure there was a lot of ice buckets and icing going on in between uh, the Friday night and the Saturday game. And it must have worked because they came away with a huge 21-point win over the Sutherland Sharks, winning 92-71. to 71 which saw Leilani Mitchell with a 40-piece that game. And then Penrith had to back up as well. They played at home. This time they hosted the Canberra Nationals, who were doing a bit of an unconventional double away trip, Hornsby and Penrith. Not two clubs you would normally do on an away trip. Uh, but Elisa was on their way home, I guess. So uh, Penrith, though, losing that one, 46-61. Newcastle Falcons were at home. They had the Hills Hornets. And Newcastle Falcons won that with ease, uh, forty. Sorry, seventy-four to fifty-one. The last time these two teams met, Newcastle also won, but they also only won by ten. And then uh, we're still waiting to finish the round with our ANZAC Day game tomorrow. Sutherland is going to be hosting Illawarra. Uh, the Sutherland Sharks women just coming off that inner west Bulls loss, and Illawarra on a five game losing streak so it's going to be a very tight contest both teams are desperate for a win and that will round off uh, round six for the women I'm just going to quickly go through the ladder now that there's been a couple of shake-ups um, based on the results from round six like I said Manly Warringah Seagulls are now first place with a seven and one record and a five game winning streak Center of Excellence are second with six and one Comets are Uh, Next placed with also was six and one. And in terms of for and against points, uh, Center of Excellence have 421 points against, and Comets have 436 against. So, based on it's a 0.30 percentage that is separating them for that second and third (laughs) spot, which is, I mean, could you be any closer than that? Newcastle Falcons have seen themselves at a healthy fourth place with 5-1, and one. Uh, Norse Bears with 5-2 and two in fifth place, and rounding off the top six is Aubrey Wodonga Bandits with 4-3. and three. Uh, Their percentage is just under 120%. So, uh, yeah, that that is the women's uh, ladder thus far. We can see Maitland Mustangs are flirting with that sixth spot now that they're on their three-game winning streak. They are at seventh and between them and the bandits is, is quite a difference in percentage. Like I said, the bandits are just under 120% and the Mustangs are at 106%. So it's still a bit of a gap between those two. But um, fifth, fifth place, uh, hold on, sixth, seventh, eighth and ninth place in the women's competition are all sitting on four wins and three losses. Um, and this is why we love the East, Lockie, because no matter where you are on the ladder, especially when it gets so muddy in the middle, it just makes it more and more exciting.
1: It certainly does. And I mean, we said uh, earlier in the season, or probably in preseason, the teams like Maitland and Bankstown, once they get their imports, could be real nuisance value. But they're showing they could actually be be more than that. They could uh, really give the playoffs a shake. and. You know, make a run at a final spot where they're sitting at the moment if they can, uh, you know, maintain recent form. Particularly the Mustangs, uh, they've had you know all their a play- couple of new players coming in, and um, also to mention they won this week without Rachel Williams, so you know, doing really well.
0: They sure did, uh, and I think I saw on uh, the Maitland Mustangs WBB Instagram page that they did give their captain Rachel Williams a FaceTime call. Uh, to help celebrate their win with them. But um, once we get to the news segment of our episode today, Lockie, I'll let you reveal where Rachel Williams was and why she wasn't, in fact, at the game.
1: Yes, I wasn't just watching basketball this weekend. I was watching something else as well. But we'll get to that later.
0: Get to that later. How about you give us a recap of the men's round, Lockie?
1: I would be more than happy to. If I can just find the right tab. There we go. So... Almost the uh, same fixtures as the women's for the men. So on Friday night, I was lucky enough to be up at Alexandria calling an absolute barn burner of a contest between the Comets and the manly Warringah Seals, Sea Eagles, that saw Comets just edge ahead in the fourth quarter to come away with an 88-76 win. Meanwhile, up at Crow's Nest, Norse, were defeating Centre of Excellence 83-77. But that match was actually a 17-point advantage for Norse with two minutes to play before Centre of Excellence came home with a wet sail to make it look a bit closer. Inner West Bulls headed over to Bankstown and picked up a 90-76 win on the Friday night before we moved to the Saturday games. And Norse, fresh off the win over Hills, but without Junior Madut after he... Came close to dropping 30 against COE. Actually fell to Hills 81-69. So had a big chance to go 2-0 there for the weekend, but uh, couldn't get it done in the second game in the uh, Life Members Cup there at, at Crow's Nest. Meanwhile, an absolute thriller between Hornsby and the Canberra Gunners at Hornsby, and it was Canberra just eking out a 61-60 win as uh, Sharif Saipaya once again keeping Hornsby... Uh, very competitive in matches as he's done all season, but they couldn't quite get over the line. Meanwhile, Center of Excellence bounced back from their loss to Norse with a 103-71 win over Aubrey Wadonga, who are now without Shaquille Maharaj, and we'll get to the reasons for that later in the show. And Manly, oh, they gave it all they had against Comets and uh, they had another game this time at home against Penrith and it was Penrith coming away with the 90-71 win and I know, Squin, you were fairly excited about that result for the Panthers. And,
0: yeah,
1: uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I believe that was Penrith's first win of the campaign, isn't it?
0: Yeah, that's correct. It's their first yeah. win of the campaign. Um, yeah, really, really good for them. I think it was uh, thanks to the likes of Caleb Fatui for Moa, he had 21-9. and nine, And uh, Neisakia had 18-4-3. So great win for a very young Penrith team. Well done to them.
1: Certainly was. Meanwhile, Maitland got up over the Central Coast Crusaders, 102-78, as Matt Gray dominated. Uh, easily earning a spot in the All-Star 5 this week. Meanwhile, Inner West... Piled on the misery for Sutherland after the uh, women's team lost. They racked up a 100-85 win over the Sharks. So for all the uh, close contests these teams have had in the last couple of years, Inner West have now done the double over the Inner West Sutherland men this season already. And it's only what, round six. They've already faced each other twice. Hills travelled up to Newcastle on Sunday and eked out a 70-69 to 69 win after trailing 21-9 to nine after a quarter. As Sean Montague, Uh, as Robbie Clayton said last week, once he uh, finds his feet, Sean Montague, watch out, and it proved true this weekend. And on the final Sunday game, it was the Canberra Gunners uh, bringing the Panthers back down to earth with a big 92-54 win. And, of course, it'll be the F6 derby. It now has an official name, the Freeway Cup, getting underway tomorrow for Anzac Day as Sutherland take on Illawarra. In a very, very crucial game for Sutherland.
0: Interesting. It's called the Freeway Cup. Considering you know when you've got the likes of Crusaders to Maitland, like Central Coast to Maitland to Newcastle, um, that can also that's also considered like a bit of a down the freeway freeway rivalry as well. So maybe we should call that. So what's the what's the main road getting from Sutherland to Illawarra? Did you say F six or M six or something?
1: It's Well, I've always called it the F6. It might be the M6 now, but that's like how the F3 is now the M1. You know, everyone still calls it the F3. <laughs>
0: yes. Yes, you are correct. Yeah.
1: So, uh, yeah, I, it's always been the F6 derby, but now it's the freeway cup. I guess similarly to the Kings and Hawks have the freeway series in the NBL.
0: Oh, of course. That would make a lot more sense, actually, yes. the freeway cup. But then again, in the NBL, we can't have like, we don't have a Newcastle team
1: yet. Yeah. We Yeah, can we... Can we have a Newcastle NBL and WNBL team, please?
0: Well, look, truth be told, I mean, I mean, we're going off tangent here, but who cares? It's just the two of us today, so we can. But uh, I know that the Newcastle as an association have been trying to get an NBL and WNBL team back in the Hunter for a good part of a decade because even when I was playing State League in 2010, they were already trying to uh, – Filled their women's program to make sure they had a pathway and at least some kind of bench players at Newcastle in preparation for those teams. And as you and I know, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners know, the biggest barrier for the association with going ahead was the venue. Um, and then they were they found uh, a site for a new venue, but then that site ended up being unavailable for a lot of legal reasons that we won't go into. But uh, I think. The, the biggest struggle has being able to find a new site where Newcastle as an association have been able to build a new stadium. But I think as of like three, four weeks ago, they have a new site and it's been officially announced that they will be building. So watch this space. I'm pretty, pretty confident that Newcastle hopefully in the next five years will have an
1: NBL and WNBL club. Would be great to see because, uh, if you think about like a Newcastle WNBL team over the year, you said having local players fill out the bench. Like, imagine you know, if you could have Cass McLean, Lara McSpaden, Hannah Young, Izzy Palmer, Kyra Evans, and oh, you could have had Katie Ray Ebsery running running the point for them, so and even Susie B back in the day. So, there's plenty, definitely been a lot of uh. WNBL talent that could have filled out a Newcastle roster over the last few years.
0: Yeah, and there's no doubt that Newcastle, as an association and a region, is a big basketball place considering that they're competing with the Newcastle Jets in the A-League and, of course, the Newcastle Knights in the NRL. Um, they've probably got the to, – to my knowledge, um, they were uh, first or second in you know the the highest number of memberships of a club in new south wales so they've certainly got the the numbers to back them uh they just needed the venue and because the, the current venue at Broadmeadow used to be an airplane hangar and i can tell you exactly where the dead spots still are on that court one and i i think we actually briefly touched joked around with uh nicole munger in one of our previous episodes about that so right, newcastle for a club of their size and their um way that they dominate dominate the especially the juniors in New South Wales, surely they need a new stadium by now.
1: I think you're 100 percent right. But back to the subject at hand, we'll take a look at the uh, men's ladder, and that we now have uh, two teams atop the table at seven and one, with uh, centre of excellence in inner west Bulls, both seven and one. Comets just behind at six and one, and Illawarra five and one. Before we get to Teams with multiple losses. Norse slotting in at six and two in fifth. So just like their women's team, two losses. And then Canberra rounding out the top six at five and three. Maitland and Sutherland both four and three. But if Sutherland can snag a win on home court against a highly rated Illawarra side, they would join Canberra at five and three. But I think what we're seeing in, um, in both competitions is we've got a few teams down the bottom And they haven't all played each other yet, some of the lower teams. Uh, So you look at those teams that got like three wins down to two wins and one win. You know, they might be able to pick up some wins against some of the lower-rated teams and at least give them to to a little bump up the ladder.
0: Yeah, at least make it a little bit more interesting and and exciting for them as well when they get to start to play each other. Um, It seems like as the current ladder sits for the men's, it seems like they're already starting to be – uh, quite some quite divisive uh, separations and who's going to be top and bottom. Like, I think that's going to start to be relatively clear, whereas the women is still too hard to pick, in my opinion.
1: Definitely. Yeah, in the men's, there's an established top four, an established bottom four, and then the middle eight are pretty much fighting for the final, final spots.
0: Yeah, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, we didn't uh, really establish what games we wanted to cover this episode After last episode, in my mind, after last week, I felt so organized in terms of like running the, you know, doing podcast things and life in general. And then pretty much as soon as I logged off after recording last Monday, I think everything just fell out of my brain. And it got to the end of the week where I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to do this, 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 and this. And it's been an overwhelming few days, but here we are, we made it. And so the two games that I decided to try and cover a little bit for round six was... Uh, The Manly-Penrith game where it was very, very close and also the Bankstown in a West game as well. So I'll just start off with the Manly and Penrith game. So this was played on the Saturday after Manly just thumped the Comets and Manly was uh, playing back at home. So the the interesting things that stood out to me is that Manly dropped their shooting percentage to 24%. And that included 12 out of 25, three, oh, I should say, as well as 12 out of 25 free throws. So de- certainly not their best shooting performance, giving, given the guns that they have on their team. Uh, Penrith was still without Talia Tupaya, given, I think we've featured in a previous episode, she has a calf injury. Uh, and Manly was still without Zoe Miller. Um, but I think you'll have some more insight into that a bit later, Lockie. So what was really interesting about this game is that it all kind of happened in the fourth quarter. So going into the, uh, into three-quarter time, Penrith were actually up by three despite losing by two. Um, Penrith came out in a zone. Uh, they were probably in the zone for a good chunk of the game and they were especially stuck in a zone for all of the fourth quarter. And Manly definitely struggled against that. Um So, obviously, you go to the well until the well run strife. Zone is working for you, then you stick to it, and that was certainly to Penrith's strengths. They did a really, really good job of staying in that zone and being able to limit um, Manly to one shot per possession for most of the time too. But uh, when we head into the fourth quarter, no one scored until the 6-minute 47 mark. So it was still lots of up and back, lots of missed shots, lots of turnovers as well when it came to the crunch. And then uh, Penrith ended up picking up a lot of fouls. So that kind of gave Manley the advantage to go to the free throw line very early in the game. I think it was even before uh, the last five minutes had, had ticked over for the fourth quarter, Penrith had already met their team fouls. Um, but interestingly, Kim Hodge was absent for a good chunk of the back end of that game. So I'm not too sure if she ended up being injured or if Coach um, Kerman was just happy with that. Um, five that he had on so in the dying seconds it was all tied up uh, Meg Jefferson from Panthers Panthers had a two-point bucket so she made a great lay- post play with 12 seconds left and then Manly called a timeout they advanced the ball and passed it in from the sideline and just after a sideline catch Antonia Hed- uh, Henderson was fouled she hits of all the free throws for Manly to make, she hits two clutch free throws with 12 seconds left to play. Penrith are forced to throw up a three point prayer, and that's how Manly ended up securing the
1: win. Oh, it's funny you mention uh, Kim Hodge spending a fair bit of time in the back end of the game, not on court, because the night before at Manly Comets, uh, Alex Delaney picked up her fourth foul early in the third quarter. And they spent most of the third quarter with not only Alex off with four fouls, but with Kim off at the same time.
0: And yeah. Kim,
1: Kim wasn't in foul trouble.
0: Yeah. And no, that's, that's, a, that's really interesting that it happened two nights in a row then because um, Kim also wasn't in foul trouble against Penner. She only had two fouls. Um, she was one from eight from the free throw line, but given it's Kim Hodge, do you really bench her for that? She only played she didn't even play twenty minutes in this game against Penrith, So I'm not too sure if it was something um maybe Coach Kerwin just didn't was just looking for a different combination. Maybe he went for I, I honestly I actually don't know. I'm not even going to try and make up an answer because <laughs> everything I can think of, Kim Hodge uh, in my mind is capable of doing, especially in when uh, Penrith were playing a zone for so long. Kim Hodge from the high post can be really deadly, and especially on the offensive rebounds. I mean, people can generally – people can get quite lazy when they're playing a zone with boxing out. Um, so you put Kim in that situation, I imagine she'd be chasing down a lot of boards. So.
1: Yeah, not you do. Sure. You You mentioned that. Is this stat correct that Josie Ballman had nine offensive rebounds in 21 minutes?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I reckon that is right. Yeah, because she was able, especially especially in that fourth quarter, she was able to come up with some really sound O-boards. Um, and, I, I mean, O-boards are always great at the best of times, but the timing of her O-boards as well, especially in that fourth when the clock was winding down, was super tight yeah no she she did a really really great job um, of getting on the O boards
1: yeah, I have I, I mean having watched as much youth league as I have throughout the years watching her come up through the ranks um just yet another player on the uh, manly pipeline that and they all just play team ball really really well. Um, anyone who comes through that manly program seems to be uh just fit straight into the system um, I know that uh some manly fans on Twitter. Not so happy that they don't get a lot of love from the uh, NBL1 socials, but that's what happens when everyone's playing well and you don't have a really true standout.
0: Yeah, it's really hard to pick. Um, I think I only really gave Kim Hodge that shout-out when they played against Comets because she was, you know, like I said, three plays in 20 points and she had a double-double. So mm-hmm. that's what stood out to me for that game. But uh, I agree. There are... Their offence has improved heaps. They've always had offensive weapons for the last, you know, five years of this senior women's program. Um, But now it looks like that Coach Curran is putting it to good use. I feel like they're really coming into their own this season. I feel like they probably underperformed the last couple of seasons given their personnel. But uh, certainly their ball rotation and their decision-making on offence has
1: definitely improved this season. And I think, um, you know... I'm not going to say a blessing in disguise, but taking a positive out of Zoe Miller being out for a couple of weeks is getting Fliss Henderson the ball in her hands more. And she just looks like she's matured three years in three weeks, just getting the opportunity to play more, watching her against Comets. And looks like she had a pretty pretty decent game against uh, Penrith as well.
0: Yeah, totally. Ten points, ten rebounds, four assists, three steals. Um, she's also someone that's been flirting with a double-double. This, uh, Sorry, a triple-double. This season, there was also one game where I think she was maybe three assists and um, like two rebounds off a triple-double or something like that.
1: Yeah, I think she had a she had a 12-9-12 game a couple of weeks ago.
0: Yes, that was probably yeah. kind of it. 12-9-12, yeah. good memory. Yeah, so she's really been flirting with that triple-double too. So I'm really excited for her. Um, I know that some she's signed up to go to Columbia for college, so she's going to join her sister Kitty over there. Uh, I know... That uh, speaking with uh, Maitland Mustang on the weekend with Mila Waszkiewicz, she's going in June, so I'm guessing uh, Felis will probably go around the same time.
1: Yeah, a few few players um headed over to college. Uh, Jada Crawshaw is going to Long Beach State as well, and these these are players that are not just young players going to college. These are starting players, star players in this league heading to college that. So, Unfortunately we're not going to be able to see play in our league for 4 years but it's great to be able to say that you know play in the east you can you can head over and play at big colleges.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Like you said, yeah, these aren't just young benchies who are filling just backfilling a roster. These are starting fives, these are people who are putting up big numbers in the east and now going to college and given the tight ladder as it is already come June with the with the finals being in August, I think taking out all of those really star plays is gonna have a massive impact on the re- overall results.
1: Oh, certainly. I mean, you know, Miller's starting, she had eighteen and six against Crewe, and uh yeah, that's gonna be a big hole to Phil. Crawshaw is Crawshaw was making people look silly in the paint at times on Friday night, and Fliss was, you know, just as good.
0: Yeah, Croshaw with four blocks as well uh, against Manly. That is insane. And they're not like just a tap. They're like a volleyball spike. Like she's throwing it back down into the opposition space.
1: There was one where I got as up for it on the call as I have for a Mark L. Beasley dunk. It was that word.
0: (laughs) Equivalent of that, you know, it's pretty good, right? Yeah. Uh, so the other game that I tried to cover this week was uh, Bankstown Bruins when they hosted the Inner West Bulls on that Friday night. Uh, like we said, the Bankstown Bruins winning 72-60. to 60. Uh, But the, the Bulls made a really late run for it. They ended up outscoring the Bruins 17-7 to 7 in the fourth quarter uh, and they were down by as much as 22-23 points. So to get it back to 12 is not a bad result. But this game, to be fair... Uh, yeah, it was, um, I, th- I don't know how else to more diplomatically describe it, Lockie, but off air I mentioned it was a bit of an immature game in a sense that it was just lots of up and back, everyone playing man, everyone playing what looked like motion um, and to be fair I could only watch like chunks of the game, I couldn't watch the full game because of time constraints, but from what I saw it was just really like it was a basketball game. And there wasn't a lot of variation in offensive sets. There wasn't a lot of variation in tempo. Um, There wasn't even a lot of variation in defensive stuff either. I think if Bankstown do a really good job of getting uh, Brittany and uh, Violet Morrow, sorry, Brittany Wright and and Violet Morrow in better scoring positions, like, yeah, Bankstown are going to be really, really hard to beat. And Rachel Dunlop has, has stepped up quite a lot in the last few games too. So um, she's a bit of a dark horse. But, yeah, it was just really an arm wrestle, a back and forth. It wasn't memorable. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> It'll
1: be memorable enough for Bankstown getting a uh, getting the win up. So,
0: absolutely, yes. I will give credit to them. It, will, it was uh, certainly a great win for them. Um do
1: remember there's a, there's a couple of players who have suited up for Bankstown on the inner-west rosters, so –
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. That is true. Um, And, uh, yeah, interestingly, Bianca Small didn't play uh, uh, that game against Inner West. I'm not too sure if she was absent or if she was injured, but might have to try and
1: find out. Um, Interesting. Um, We saw Dompkins and O'Flynn playing the full 40 minutes and Leilani nearly did the same. So definitely leaning on the starters, Inner West.
0: Yeah, for sure. And Domkin's that game, 16 points, 24 rebounds. 24 rebounds.
1: She had 25 last week as well, didn't she? I know. The
0: girl (laughs) just keeps going and going and going. Five assists, three steals, one block.
1: So really
0: doing a little bit of everything. I think she was two from seven from three-point land, which uh, I'm sure that she would be okay with, but knows that she could probably improve, understandably. Uh, and Leilani was on 21, 3 and 2. Um, for Bankstown, Violet Morrow had 26, 12, 3 and 3. So, also doing a little bit of everything. Um, she made some really tough shots too, especially from the outside, uh, contested with a hand. And Rachel Dunlop was 15, 8, 3, 2 and 2. So, she's also doing a lot of everything in 28 minutes. Uh, so, just as a reminder, it's 15 points, 8 rebounds, 3 assists. Two steals, two blocks. Just in case you don't memorise the uh, order of stat sheet quite like we do. Well,
1: <laughs> you read enough.
0: Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> um, what games did you decide to cover in the men's league this round, Rocky?
1: Well, um, I, despite the fact I um commentated on Manly Comets, which was a blockbuster, I decided. Uh, I'd go first up with Norse versus uh, Centre of Excellence, seeing as uh, Norse did get the uh, win. And we've been talking and saying, if and when Brennan Reimer comes back, Norse are going to be dangerous. Yeah, well, he scored 27 points, didn't he?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Right on cue.
1: Uh, So he finished four of nine from three, uh, scoring... uh, Yeah, I think he scored 27. Yes, he scored 27. Uh, he shot nine of twenty-one from the field, but he also chucked in three assists. And uh, Junior Morduot, twenty-eight points, four rebounds, seven assists. So those two players combining for fifty-five points. The stars really standing up for Norse on that occasion. And to be honest, I I watched I watched it in chunks, like you did with the Bankstown game, but it, it didn't really seem as close as the final scoreline suggested. And that's uh, bore out in the fact that COE actually finished the game on an 11-0 run. So with two minutes to play, it was 83-66. Yeah, right. uh, Angus, I mean, to COE's credit, Angus still did feel compelled to call a timeout with 45 seconds to play because they were charging hard with COE. Uh, But, yeah, so it was... In the third quarter, where they really opened it up with a twenty-three-fifteen third quarter after it was a four-point lead at halftime,
0: was a little uh, bit a case of a little bit a little too late for. Uh, uh,
1: yeah, it yeah, was one of those timeouts where it's like I think it was like let's let's just make the one hundred percent sure of this. Slow it down, they're back within like eight points in forty-five seconds. Is it's unlikely but not unheard of kind of thing. So just yeah. So, yeah, call the timeout, put a stop to it, let's reset. And essentially they did that and, uh, yeah, and finished it off.
0: Interesting that Ben Henshaw's still on the uh, COE list after, you know, it's now announced that he's signed for the Perth Wildcats. Um, And we know that uh, the COE graduation is looming. So when do you perhaps expect for the likes of Henshaw and Alex Tui to uh, say goodbye?
1: I'm not entirely – I think – I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I, I would I would probably say they'll be there until they until they graduate. If they're gonna stay with C O E they're gonna they're going to play. Um it's only, it's it's like two weeks there's no point in him going to Gonzaga now, kind of thing. It's like uh so if he, he goes it won't be until you know, until start of school kind of thing. Or whenever graduation is, he will probably play until then. Uh but as we've heard from other people, uh, doesn't matter. I think Reese reset it uh, when he was on that. Even when they graduate, there's going to be plenty of good talent coming through, coming through to replace them. It's more just a matter that they're they're younger, you know, maybe a little less polished. And uh, Henshaw and Tui are certainly the uh, the standouts of the class.
0: And but, no, no Rocco suiting up this game, but uh, and Alex Condon playing less than ten minutes.
1: Yeah, well that might be bore out on the fact that they did have the uh they have the uh double header this week, COE. I can't remember who they played in the other did they? Yeah, they played Albury in their other game. So they did have two games this week and uh you don't wanna you know, smash the kids too hard. But um even so Alex Condon only played sixteen minutes in their second game as well, so and still and no Rocco in the second game either. So yeah, minutes really down for uh Condon there.
0: Yeah, so perhaps some load management going on, especially when, you know, Rocco zakarski's playing some games and not other games. And he's just come back from Aiden's Nationals too, so maybe he just needs a bit of a rest because he dominated at Nationals.
1: He certainly did. Uh, I mean, that's the thing that you get at COE is you're going to have your, um, you know, performances, you know, analysed down to the second played. It's like a pitch count in baseball. You know, you reach the magic number and they say that'll do you. Have a few days, you know. Have a rest. We'll bring you back. But uh, interestingly, considering we talk about Coe and the fundamentals and how well drilled they are, North actually won the turnover battle, battle nineteen to twelve, and picked up fifteen o boards to nine, and shot twenty one more field goal attempts than Coe. So that certainly gave North a significant advantage, and it wasn't always the most polished performance from a team that does get that kind of thing drilled into them for COE, like just letting like those long transition outlet passes straight to the man kind of thing. I'm sure that would rankle uh, all the coaches at COE who'd be, you know, drumming into the players. You know, you've got to get back on D, D trans, that kind of thing. Uh, isn't the the sign up at the AIS training hall that says Australian players are good defenders? Yeah. <laughs> And so,
0: like the Opals, you know, one of the seven pillars of being an Australian Opal is that uh, you have to be like, take pride in your defence. Like, defence is key.
1: Yeah. So, um, and if we look at that game compared to the COE, uh, the COE game against Albury, they only committed six turnovers against Albury uh, compared to the 19 they can had against North, and they conceded 13 fast break points against North and cleaned that up and only gave up four against Albury. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, you know, Coach, I think Robbie McKinley might have uh, had a few words to, uh, to his charges between the two games about things like that.
0: It sounds like North took a really good opportunity. It, you know, those things you're describing from COE in terms of uh, letting, give him up too many O-boards, not getting back on D-trans. Um, I mean, obviously not shutting down the likes of um, Rhymer and, I mean, Maduit's Madut, but Rhymer uh, with the 27 points all sound like fatigue-based things, but then if they were able to turn around and get a win against Aubrey the next day, perhaps it was just one of those days where um, brain and body weren't as well connected as, as you would want it to be um points in the paint was really interesting actually so north yeah. had 48 points in the paint including 14 points in the paint for quarter 1 3 and 4
1: yeah i did notice that and i mean that that probably bears out in in rocco not playing probably uh helps a little bit there um, um and the biggest lead being 17 so 17- yeah so that was yeah right at the end of the game where they um Yeah, pushed it out before uh, COE reeled it back in a little bit at the end there.
0: And you made a really good, uh, great observation about the differences in offensive rebounds. So that's huge for Norse with 19 O-boards. And Norse winning by six, the difference in second chance points for each team was six points where Norse had 11 and Mm. COE had five. So really splitting hairs here at the end uh, statistically for these teams to try and get a win but um what do you think North did really really well this game
1: uh, well I think well th- they took that their opportunities when they had them um you know when uh when COE when they had the defensive breakdowns or when they saw players were available they they gave up they they were very good uh I noticed at making that extra pass when you're really in close quarters you know, if you get some help defense right there in the paint and there's that just that man, even if he's just on the other side of the basket, um, finding that extra pass, they did that really well. Um, I mean Madut ended up with seven assists to go with his twenty-eight points. They really did that well. And yeah, just taking taking what the defense gave them and and really eyeing off the opportunities. uh Madut scored, he only hit two of nine. Um, he threw down a monster dunk. That was uh very fun to see. Uh yeah, just, you know, as you've said, Madut's Madut. He's going to keep scoring in a variety of ways. And I think just having Reimer there on court again just gave them uh, so many more, or just another option. You know, he can distribute, he can score. And it just, it's just a play. He's not, I don't want to say irreplaceable, but certainly, you know, adds so much to the team. And if they can keep him on court for more than two games at a time, it's going to be. Very very fun going forward because, I mean, doesn't I'm not going to you know chalk off a good performance for shooting nine of twenty one from the field, especially with his first game back, and that's probably going to only improve uh shooting five. You know, still forty over forty percent from both two and three point range. So probably really getting picky, trying to point out something negative about his performance. He only had one turnover as well.
0: Well, look, sometimes people just. uh I mean, he had four fouls. I think that's the worst thing we could say, really. Think, but
1: <laughs> so did Mike Golding and Nate Musters. So, and um, Longu fouled out for COE. So, I mean, if Norse North can say one thing, they probably don't want to commit 22 fouls if um, six players are going to play the majority of the minutes kind of thing. You know, of, of the, you know, they had their five starters and then Bose played 29 minutes, and then Coco, 16, and then Jock Jensen and Robert Moore, just token minutes really. So you yeah, probably don't want to be getting in that kind of foul trouble if you're uh, running a, a short rotation.
0: Yeah, that's true. And only getting to the foul line 10 times, whereas COE got to the foul line 28 times.
1: And look at those free throw numbers for Norse. It's all Madut and Reimer.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. Nobody else. No one else. Got to the line.
0: No. No. Uh, well, they've got quite – Norse uh, have a task ahead of them next week when they play against the Hawks. Um, Intel tells me that Pagotto still won't be there for the Hawks and Lucas Waxi Walker also won't be available for Hawks. So this might be a prime opportunity for Norse to clinch a win against Illawarra.
1: Certainly will be. I mean, it's still going to be tough, but, I mean, I'd rather face Illawarra without Waxy and Noah than I would facing them if they were there.
0: But this is also our first opportunity to see uh, Junior Madut and Dave O'Hickey against each other.
1: Yes, that should be absolutely electric. Uh, uh, So is that the 4pm tip-off? So that's uh, one of the earlier games on on Saturday. So before we get into uh, the absolute, you know, prime time game. So should be able to uh, catch that one.
0: Yeah. And very yeah.
1: exciting to watch.
0: Totally, yeah. And albeit will be at Crow's Nest, so um, it will be a great atmosphere there. You might I wonder if we
1: have to buy a ticket ahead of time. It might be a sold-out affair. I think every game involving Dave O'Hickey should be a sold-out affair, especially yeah. with Madud on the other side. I totally agree.
0: And the other game you chose to recap was Newcastle versus Hills. and I'm really glad that you chose to recap this one because it uh, shook up some of the ladder standings
1: as a result. It certainly did. So, uh, very, very interesting game. Newcastle uh, jumped out to a twenty-one-nine lead after a quarter of play. Uh, they were shooting sixty-four percent from two-point range with twelve points in the paint. You know they've got the uh, the big the big fundamentals. Ryan Beastie, uh Miles Cherry, and Tommy Dawson. Tommy Dawson didn't have a big scoring game, but uh, you know they've got those big boys in there who just know how to get things done. But as I say that, uh, it would, they just had a couple of turnovers early in the second quarter in quick succession, and that sort of just set Hills on their way. And Hills uh, slowly started bringing it back to uh, actually take, uh, sorry, trail by six. So they halved the deficit by half time. And what was really good to see, we had Robbie Clayton on uh, last episode, and he was mentioning that uh, Sean Montague, he, had an injury he'd been a bit crook but uh once he you know, gets his feet under him starts really doing you know what what he can what what they've seen in the uh, on the training on the training track uh watch out and it came to pass cuz he had 15 points 13 rebounds four assists and a steal for good measure um, to uh really put the league on notice whilst uh, Liam Moss 27 and 5 for him and uh but for um for this game, I don't wanna I don't wanna harp on negatives, but I do have to make mention of it is with a team with so many veteran presences. I mentioned, you know, the big boys for Newcastle, Beastie, Dawson, Cherry. Uh they've got some other guys who have been there around for the while for a while, and then uh guys like Ben Kieran's for Penrith. Actually are uh, teams combined for 37 turnovers, which I think if you have such veterans on the team, you'd probably want um probably want numbers slightly lower than that.
0: 37.
1: Combined. So 20, 20 for for Hills and 17 for um, Newcastle. Um, It's still not hugely bad numbers, but I still think um, both teams would probably want um, their numbers to be slightly lower than that, especially for Hills where it was four different players had three turnovers and Montague had six. So, it was, yeah, it was kind of a theme for a lot of players throughout the night for Hills. But they did manage to get the win. And I know it finished 70-69, to 69, but Hills actually led 68-60 with a minute to play. Uh, Jaden Goodwin buried a three. Uh, then Gaines, who finished with 21 points, he buried a three. Uh, they couldn't quite get the tying score. And uh, Moss sealed it at the line with four seconds to play, knocking down two free throws to cap his game. He actually finished 4 of 4 at the line. And Hills, we're going to mention free throws again. Hills, 20 of 27 from the free throw line. Newcastle, 11 of 21.
0: Ah, oh, see, we only mention it, though, because it's important. And it's, so many games come down to that. Missing 10 free throws, that hurts so much when you lose a game, especially by one point.
1: Certainly three, certainly.
0: three points.
1: Yeah, well, and it was a one-point game, but um, Matur Malok had a three-quarter court, or maybe not quite three-quarter court, but a very long three-pointer as the time expired to get it back from 70-66 to 70-69. But still, incredibly close game, and yeah, shooting 52% at the charity stripe uh, will not go down particularly well. So, uh, finish Ryan Beastie, double-double, 10-14. Uh, Gaines, as I said, had 21 points. He also had uh, six rebounds. Miles Cherry, 10 points and nine rebounds. So players having decent nights. Maturma Locke had 10 points. So some guys having decent scoring nights for Newcastle, but apart from Gaines, no one really having a big night. Uh, Whilst for Hills, I mentioned Moss and Montague and uh, Josh Cowley, 10 points in 21 minutes off the bench. Uh, So... As you said, shaking up the ladder. These teams now both on, both playing 500 ball. Hills four and four, and Newcastle played two fewer games, and they're sitting at three and three. So definitely a big game because that would have had put basically two two wins between the teams, or close enough to with the uh, games in hand. But yeah, instead they're all they're all tied up. they right in mid table, just uh, just behind the uh, final spots.
0: And Hills getting that win without Paul Brotherson as well.
1: Yeah, so huge getting, yeah, no no, Paul and we, we know he's a big big presence for them. I think he uh, played over in Europe, uh, long, long distinguished career playing for Hills as well. And he did play in their other game this week against Norse, which they, they also won. So Hills enjoying quite a good weekend to uh, beat Newcastle on the road and Norse who had just knocked off COE.
0: Yeah, yeah, this is why the East is exciting because it's so yeah. unpredictable every game. Uh, but Brotherson, uh, yeah, great great job for Hills to get that win over Newcastle without Brotherson and then obviously the second one, as you mentioned. But Brotherson, you know, he's, uh, apart from being one of their big players, he's also um, averaging a double-double. So, you know, his stats certainly would have been missed, uh, essentially. But I, just, I thought it was really interesting that... Um, Hills only took 17 three-pointers. It seems... News, uh, Newcastle's
1: 30. And they, just looking at the stats from the game against North, they took 25 in the game against North, did Hills. So, yeah, definitely down down on uh, three-point attempts hmm. on that occasion. But, uh, I mean, they, they weren't really hitting. So, you know, four of 17, so maybe put the cue in the rack and let Liam Moss go to work and Sean Montague from a bit closer to the basket.
0: Yeah Uh, and shout out to Sean Montague too because when we called the game at Crusaders versus Hills we were making comments about his shoes and he very kindly sent me a message on Instagram showing me what shoes he actually wears and you know what that's the You can stay as long as you want, Sean. Want you come back again next season because we like having the nice people around our NBL1 East League and that was very nice of you. So thank you for reaching out. Um, But uh, news and gossip, Lockie. I think we've got a little bit more to talk about this week compared to other weeks.
1: We certainly do. And the big news in terms of the league in general is uh, coming out of the uh, banks of the Murray because – Shaquille Maharaj has been uh, released to head over to China to play in their 3x3 league. So that's a big out for Aubrey Wodonga going forward.
0: Yeah, especially considering the men's side in particular, you know, aren't uh, as competitive, probably not. aren't having their ideal season so far. Um, so to lose one of their best players as well, uh, yeah, that's that's certainly a big blow. And. Uh, what about uh, what about Jack Edwards? What have you What have you got for us about young Jack Edwards?
1: Young Jack Edwards, my guy. So yes, if you are wondering where Rachel Williams was for the Maitland game this weekend, she was up watching Jack play for Australia in the Trans Tasman uh, Touch Football Test series, which was up in Queensland, and. Uh, Australia, So he's playing for Australia. And Australia, they got up on day one, three, three test series against uh, New Zealand. They got up uh, on day one. And then in day two, both sides butchered tries in the last couple of minutes. And uh, it went to overtime and – or extra time, I think they call it in touch footy. And after five minutes of extra time, it goes from six on six down to three on three. So you've got a full-size touch footy field and it's three players for each team. and who scored the series winning try in extra time, but Maitland Mustang's Jack Edwards. How good in his debut series for Australia.
0: I mean, are we going to lose him uh, to touch footy now? Do you think? I mean, he's, he's, he's uh, scored such great success in already with his short career playing for Australia. Are we, are
1: we going to lose him? I think touch footy is a sport that you can juggle with other sports. So hopefully uh, we can, we might, we might lose him for a few games here or there, but hopefully we see him back, uh, back with the Stangers because, uh, I know they'd love to have him back and we'd love to have him back.
0: Yeah, certainly such an athlete. Um, So yeah, that's, that was the absence of Jack Edwards and Rachel Williams, but Jack obviously putting on the green and gold. So uh Best of luck to him, actually.
1: Yeah, um, so, so, yeah, the, the series finished. So, New Zealand did get the win in the third game, so it finished 2-1 in the end. But, yeah, Jack Jack and the Australian team, I think they won They won all three series, men's, women's, and mixed. So, scoop the pool up there in Queensland in the touch footy.
0: Beautiful. Good stuff. Uh, in terms of just some injury updates based on from what we know, uh, looks like Zoe Miller for Manly is still out. Uh, Talia and um, for Penrith, unfortunately, still out. Still no Loz Nicholson to return to NBL1 East just yet. And Junior Madut didn't play the second game of the round. Uh, sus- query suspected injury, but will hopefully be back next round against the Hawks. Uh, and it was also a week of... Uh, regional academy games, so the Crusaders were missing uh, at least two players from the men's side, and there was also a weekend of what looked like weddings, baby showers, uh, hen's parties, etc. So there were quite a few absences from this round. No Maddy Pen. I think Dinah Rowe for Crusaders was at uh, Aussie Rules. Vanessa Panousis wasn't there. Um, who else? Brotherson wasn't there for a game. There were quite a few absences this round.
1: It certainly were. And um, it was funny. People were saying after the uh, Manly Comets game, is Vanessa Pernusis worth 22 points? Is Vanessa Pernusis in a game where Zoe Miller plays still worth 22 points? It was really you know, people tr- people trying to figure out, well, what, how much can we glean from this Manly Comets game where Manly got a 20, 20-odd point win? Um, with both those players out. And um, it was probably closer than the final scoreline suggested that Manly Comets game. But we might hopefully see Zoe Miller back this week, if not next, uh, seems to be the word around the camp. But we shall see because I've been told that Manly versus Sutherland is my favorite game of the season. I news to me I am an equal opportunity commentator, podcaster, whatever, opportunist. Sutherland versus everyone is my favourite game,
0: um, and uh, I mean, no surprises there. To be fair, Lucky. Um And speaking of how much you love Sutherland, you've really had your work cut out for you because you were covering Comets games, you were also covering the Sutherland games. Uh, you had the, some extra work ahead of you as well because you've got you had the Sharks play Indonesia. So you've got to commentate that. And then you've also got the Anzac round tomorrow between Sharks and Illawarra. So, mate, you need to ask for a pay raise.
1: I think I do. And I just want to make mention of the um, two Indonesia games because uh, they were both very close. Illawarra needed a 45-point game from Dave Ohickey to get past Indonesia 89-81. And then Sutherland Indonesia came down to literally the final... I think they put 0.7 of a second back on the clock uh, for the final play and um, before uh, some Sutherland free throws to ice it. So that finished 93-89 with uh, Callum Norris finishing with 23 points and had 20 of those in the first half to uh, copy what his sister did in an NBL 1 East game against uh, Inner West a few weeks ago. But you talk about um, we want the nice people coming back. Come back anytime, Indonesia. Absolutely loved having you. Uh, Plenty of Indonesian fans in the crowd, I think, at Illawarra, definitely at Sutherland. Uh, Players stopping for photos after the game. Uh, Indonesia's big man, Lester Prosper, was kind enough to uh, even sign my commentary notes for my uh, international debut as a commentator. So absolutely wonderful having uh, Indonesia uh, come to come to our shores and come to MBL One East after uh, we missed out last year. They only visited Victoria and Queensland.
0: Beautiful yeah it was great to have them uh, and shake up the round a little bit but you say your international debut you've you've commentated for FIBA before haven't you?
1: I have not yet commentated for oh, FIBA.
0: Oh I see. Well that's your domain. Oh I mean only on the late call up when they get really desperate but there you go. Well done for making your international debut. That's excellent,
1: Lockie. Thanks. And I, I just want to make mention. If we um, just a bit of a. There's a bit of dissent in the ranks around our rename it campaign.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, just uh, give me, give us a quick recap of what the rename campaign is, just for those that don't know. So,
1: it's a, uh, it's not carrying as much steam as it used to, but in the volatile league days, um. Kate Seabom won, so I think, four or five Defensive Player of the Year awards uh, in a row. And uh, Norse were, uh, started a campaign. I think they brought signs to, was it the 2020 finals week, saying rename it. Rename the Defensive Player of the Year after Kate Or Manly of throwing their own name into the hat with Antonia Henderson.
0: Mm, okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I understand this. I certainly understand where they're coming from. I don't, I'm not
1: sure they, wa- I'm sure they want it renamed after Annie Henderson, but they're certainly throwing her name into the ring as a candidate for Defensive Player of the Year.
0: No, that's understandable because Antonia was always consistently the best defender in the youth league competition for years. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm happy for her to be her name to be thrown in the mix for Defensive Player in the Year. However, mm. to go as far as to say to rename it and have her in consideration of renaming it,
1: I I'm, I'm not sure they want it renamed. I think they just want the, they want, they want her to be credited. And to be fair, I mean, we've got to shout out Shiloh Hill for dropping 30 uh, against Manly um, on Friday night in a losing effort, but without Annie, it probably could have been 50.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Well done, Annie. And yeah. uh, uh, having said that, I'm gonna start uh, rolling off my All Star Five for round six as well. I was responsible for the women's All Star Five this week, and honorable mention does go to Shayla Hill, who had 30 points, eight rebounds, and five assists in that said manly game. Uh, shout out also to Jada Crawshaw for the same game, who had 24 points, seven rebounds, and four blocks, and also shout out to Shakira Riley. 26 points uh, and six rebounds, shooting at 56% against the Central Coast Crusaders, but extra points because she really shut down Sarah Matthews, uh, very good at limiting Sarah's touches, making her quite uncomfortable. And the Mustangs as a whole uh, held Central Coast Crusaders to 49 points that game. So really, really well-deserved win from the Stangers. Uh, So they were my three honourable mentions. Uh, This was really a really tough decision. It really came down to really fine details like shooting percentages to decide who made the top five. So at the top we have Leilani Mitchell, of course, dropping 40 points and nine assists versus the Sutherland Sharks in a 21-point win for the Inner West Bulls. And also versus Bankstown, she had 21 points and four assists. So she came away averaging 30.5 points and 6.5 assists, so very much in that top five. We also had Nicole Munger, again, 26 points and 20 rebounds and four assists versus Hills. And now, I mean, when you're averaging a double-double is one thing, but when your double-double is 20 points and 20 rebounds, that's ridiculous. Uh, No wonder she's leading the NBL One East women in rebounds so far this season. And number three, we've got Violet Morrow again from Bankstown. She had 26 points, 12 rebounds, three assists and three steals against the Inner West Bulls on the Friday night. And number four, Michaela Domkins from Inner West Bulls, purely because she averaged on the weekend 20 rebounds. So, you know, everyone once in a while in their career will have a 20-rebound game or a 15-rebound game, but to av- go away from a double header weekend with still averaging 20 rebounds is pretty outstanding. So she had 16 and 24 and five assists against Bankstown and then 17 points and 14 rebounds against the Sharks. And then finally, we have Emily Simons from North, who did have similar stat lines to the likes of our Honourable Mentions in Jada Crawshaw, Shia Hill, Shakira Riley. But the difference being Emily Simons dropping 23 points, uh, six rebounds and five steals, and she shot 90%. So that's what got uh, Emily into my top five, and that included five three-pointers. So you're shooting 90%, I mean... You've got to be in the top five, right?
1: Yeah, I think that's probably fair enough. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and how about your all-star five for the men's this week, Lockie?
1: Well, yeah, it was interesting. I've, like uh, pre-Easter, a lot of players um, with the double headers, so putting up two good performances, Um couple of honorable mentions um Caleb Fetui Faamai um, had 21 and 9 against Manly and then 14 and 3 against Canberra guys like Tony Tolovey in his one good game 27 points Liam Moss 27 of his own uh Blake Morrow, 23 points five rebounds six assists two steals and a block against Bankstown but um apart from one player uh just sh- let me just check. I think I missed one. I might want to I want to make a late change here, actually. Oh, we have a late change. Maybe, or it might be. I've, I actually do have a. Yeah, I'm going to. I think I might. I, I actually this week, there are a couple of players that I have above honorable mention. And are just in the dead set unlucky. Category.
0: Unlucky category. <laughs> we have And it's it's category. more just
1: because there were so many front court players doing well that I sort of couldn't put them all in. I need to show a few more guards some love. So, in the dead set unlucky category, I had Sean Montague from Hills with his two double-doubles, he's 22 and 10 with five blocks against Norse and then 15 and 13 against Newcastle. And then only because his team lost both games Matthew Eldridge from Manly Warringah just absolutely put the team on his back against Comets with 23 points and 12 rebounds, and then 15 and 15 with two assists, two steals, and three blocks uh, against Penrith. And I think if if Manly get a win or two, um, I probably uh, put Eldridge in my uh, All Star Five. But going to. Start. We'll start with uh, Blake Morrow from Inner West. So he had 23 points, five rebounds, six assists, two steals, and a block in a win over Bankstown. And then 22 points, four rebounds, and an assist in the 100-85 to 85 win over Sutherland. Uh, also in the backcourt, uh, Brennan Reimer, you know, come back after a month out to put up 27 points, two rebounds, three assists, and lead your team to a win over COE and then follow it up the next day with another 13-3-3. That fills out, really fills out my backcourt. And then I know the name you're waiting to hear, Squin Matt Gray from Maitland. 44 points, 10 rebounds, and even found time to chip in an assist, two steals and a block in Maitland's big 10278 win over Central Coast. Uh, Alex Tui. Two 20-point outings, so fell to North 77-83, but uh, put up 20 points, seven rebounds, three assists, two steals and a block. And then the next day went one better with 26 points, five rebounds and the same three assists, two steals and a block. So very, very consistent by Alex Tui. And then one of of our favourites, Christopher Bryant from Inner West, uh twenty-three points, twelve rebounds, two assists, three steals, two blocks in the win over Bankstown. And then helping them to the two and weekend with eighteen points, seven rebounds, an assist, four steals and a block over Sutherland, the hundred to eighty-five win. So yes, yeah, plenty, yeah, plenty of uh big men. Or, you know, forwards and, and post players, you know. Doing really well. Of course, if if Junior Madut suits up after dropping 28 in the first game, who knows what he could have done and he probably would have uh, easily snatched a spot if he'd been able to suit up for a second game.
0: Yeah, that is quite a standout All-Star 5. And interesting you mentioned that they're all forwards or centres. I did give Matt Gray a big shout-out on the NBL1 show when we recorded today Mm -hmm. um, because he... Typically is known as a four-five. I mean, the guy's six-eight, but is certainly starting to show uh, some guard skills. He is shooting the ball from outside a lot better, and he um, is starting to guard the ball a little bit better as well. So, yeah, really giving himself a bit more variety uh, and versatility, I should say. So, look, listen, if you're an MBL scout, give this guy a DP spot. Give him a chance. He's ready.
1: Please do. Another boy, another boy from out from the central west of New South Wales, just like uh, his teammate, Will Cranston-Leon.
0: Exactly. And I think, you know, rumour has it that they ideally want to be DPs together at a club. They don't really want to be separated. They've got a bit a bit of a mutual respect and bromance going on there, which we love. Um, but look, if, if there is a club out there that needs some two quality DPs, these guys are ready.
1: They definitely are. I, I know we would love to love to see it. Uh, and we love we love to see the new south wales country boys and girls doing well
0: absolutely not that we're biased but uh <laughs> that wraps up another episode of East scott game uh we'll be back again next week and we will have a very special guest someone that you just mentioned lockie is very keen and eager to jump on the pod so we're looking forward to that and uh otherwise thank you for joining me lockie and thanks for everyone listening and uh Yeah, let's go East.
1: Peace.